Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the truth that you have given us. We're thankful for the health message. Most of all, we're thankful for the salvation that you provide through Jesus. We ask that you would be with us in our discussion today. May we see more clearly the ways in which you would have us interface with the world to save them using the health message. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to do to start with is to discuss since six of the fundamental principles of health evangelism. We'll take them one at a time. The first question to ask is where should you be doing health evangelism? Uh, Should you be doing it in a hospital setting? Should you be renting conference centers at hotels or motels? Uh, Should the primary location be in a medical practice or a dental practice? Uh, Perhaps uh, you should consider uh, better living centers. Uh, But the answer is none of those. The primary location for health evangelism really should be the local church. Now, some will object and say, well, you know, my, my church is kind of small, and we're really not on the main track, and it's a little hard to get to, and uh, my church doesn't have a good reputation in the neighborhood, and people aren't, you know, aren't likely to come out to my church. Uh, or you might say, oh, hey, I'm a member of ASI. I'm, I'm not part of the church organization, the official organization. Uh, But I would just point out this quotation. Enfeebled and defective as it may appear, the church is the one object upon which God bestows in a special sense his supreme regard. It, the church, is the theater of his grace in which he delights to reveal his power to transform lives. That's our business. We want to transform lives. And God likes to do that in his church. And the church is so important to God that when he knocked Saul off of his horse and Saul said, what do you want me to do? Jesus did not tell him. Jesus said, you need to go to my church. They will explain it to you. And then, of course, he had to contact his church and tell them to go get Paul. But they were connected with the church. And when the angel appeared to Cornelius, the angel could have explained the gospel to him in a way that Peter never could. But the angel said, send for Peter. Go to my church. And so if Jesus and the angels send people to the church for answers, we should do the same. The church is extremely important in the work of God. There are many advantages to using the church. The church is empty most of the time. The church is designed for group meetings. The church's not threatening to people during off hours. If you invite somebody to come to Sabbath worship, they'd be very uncomfortable. But if you invite them to come to a weight management program on Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock, they'll say, sure, that's not a problem. And the cost is right. You don't have to spend a lot of money underneath where it says inexpensive is the word cheap. But my wife didn't like that word, so I had to put inexpensive over it. And the church is the Christian's home. And we need to get them there as quick as we can. And when you start doing health programs in your church, it changes the reputation of the church. People say, 
You need help with weight, go down the Adventist church. You need help to quit smoking, go down the Adventist church. Need to learn to exercise right, go down the Adventist church. The best way for us to improve the reputation of our church is to start doing something useful for the community within our premises. And there are other advantages. We put church members to work that way, and we have 50,000 churches. And uh, we have this council. The Lord gave me light that every place where a church was established, medical missionary work was to be done. And in every church, the medical missionary work is to occupy its rightful place as it ever should have done in every church in our land. There is a message regarding health reform to be born in every church. Uh, these seem to me to be very plain statements. And I, I think we, we may have not understood them. Even church plants. Churches are to be organized, and in no case are these churches to divorce themselves from the medical missionary work. So when you have a church plant, put them to work right away. But there's a warning. And here is the warning. The medical missionary work should be part of the work of every church in our land. Disconnected from the local church, it would soon become a strange medley of disorganized atoms. So what this is saying is you take health evangelism out of the church, and then it starts to look like this. The primary institution for health evangelism is the local church. That is principle number one. We're back to these six fundamental principles. Number two, who is to do health evangelism. Health professionals? Well, we certainly need them. Preachers? Can't do without them. Health educators? We need them too. But the primary person is this guy, the local church member. We've come to a time when every member of the church needs to take hold of medical missionary work. We've come to a time when every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. We have come to a time when every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. We, we talk about every member involvement, and every member involvement is a great thing, but there are a lot of members who aren't comfortable giving Bible studies or approaching their neighbors in a spiritual sense, but if we were to put them to work doing some health work for their neighbors, they would find that ever so much easier, and it would not be threatening to them. And it's a good way... Uh, to work them in. So, reality check. Here's the problem. Church members don't know it, they don't live it, they don't show up, and they are generally bad examples. At least my church is that way. Notice this. No church can flourish unless its members are workers. The individual members of the church should feel a responsibility resting upon them to overcome their own defects and by doing so, encourage others to overcome. At the last weight management program I did in my church, just before the hurricane hit uh, last fall, one, my, my star church member, who weighed, I think, 325 pounds, I volunteered to be a group leader. And I said, that would be great. And her group was a dynamic group. They all lost weight, but she lost 40 pounds. And she's kept it off since then. Uh, when you take imperfect church members and give them a work to do for others, 
they shape up. As long as... I, I, I went to a church once that was on the fringe of Adventist respectability. And there are churches like that. And they had a mantra that they had worked up, which was, your sin is none of my business and my sin is none of your business. And they repeated that every week as part of the church service. And to me, that describes the situation perfectly. When we're together, we kind of overlook each other. But when we start doing something for other people, we can't kid ourselves anymore. When we start working for other people, we have to shape up. And we realize we need God every day too. And I like to throw imperfect people into the health evangelism equation because they do shape up. They do develop a closer relationship. And as they help other people, they are blessed themselves. And the advantage is we got 21 million members. So we have an adequate workforce. So principle number two is church members are the primary practitioners of health evangelism. And the third is, third principle is what information should we give them? And fundamentally, we should give them valid scientific information. And that information should be based on large population studies. And one of the ones that I like in particular is the NIH AARP study that has 543,000 people in it. Uh, the study that I probably get the most information from are the, well, let me just say that this study has proven more than we've been able to prove in the Adventist health studies because this study has proven that red meat in the diet causes heart disease, causes strokes, causes colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, stomach cancer, esophagus cancer, liver cancer, and acute myeloid leukemia. And you can do that if you have a half million people. And uh, you don't have to guess about anything because anything that's true for a half million people is true for you. And uh, of course, I like the Adventist health study. Uh, we have 96,000 Adventists enrolled and there's key data coming from that. Uh, there have now been, I don't know, I tried to uh, count it up this morning, but I think that there are over 300, maybe close to 430 articles published over the last 70 years. I happen to have a paper copy of every one of them at home. I also have a PDF file of every one of them on a jump drive. Uh, they were all compiled by Dr. Galen Bosley, uh, who is retired from his work at the General Conference, and I'm sure he'd be glad to give you a jump drive that has every article ever published about Adventists on it. The other big studies, Harvard's nurses study, I, I, I use a lot of data. They have 280,000 participants. The European EPIC study has half a million people, and I particularly like the papers that come out of CDC's NHANE surveys because they do a survey in all 50 states, and the people that they survey are a microcosm of the population in that state. And they sample based on ethnicity in the state, uh, age in the state, and genders in the state, so that anything that is published that has NHANES on it is true for everybody in the United States. Because it comes, no other study is in all 50 states. And so here's a reality check for us. The world knows all of the main principles of healthy living. They know it. 
They've done the research. And they've done it on bigger populations than we have. Now, we had it first, but we didn't do the research, so they did the research for us. And the fact that they're confirming what we've believed for 125 years is okay with me because it helps validate us and it, it helps us if we lean on research done by the world. Because what we proclaim is the truth and if true science takes a look at it and confirms it, that really truly is the truth, isn't it? So uh, anyway, I, I don't quote animal studies very much. I also don't uh, quote any chemical studies. And as an example, here's just one. Colloidal silver, you can buy it most anywhere as a mineral supplement. It kills 650 strains of bacteria, fungi, and viruses. Sounds very useful. It should never pass human lips. Yeah, it kills these bacteria in cultures, but not in humans. And I'm sad to tell you that I have had HIV and AIDS patients who have read about colloidal silver, kills the HIV virus. I'm going to stop my antiretroviral medicines. I'm going to drink colloidal silver. And I said, well, you know, it's a bad decision, but we'll check your viral load and your immune system. So they come back month after month. Their viral load goes up. Their immune system goes down. And sadly, they have to give it up. And they'd say, but a doctor recommended this. It's in this book on colloidal. I said, yeah. But I said, it's not the truth. And I, I don't. Uh, and also, we have church members that believe in reflexology. We have pastors that practice cranial sexual therapy. We have people really interested in aromatherapy and essential oils. And uh, we, we don't want to get into magnet therapy. We don't want to touch iridology. We don't want to touch, uh, trust crystals. We really don't want to deal with dietary supplements or various plant extracts. Reality check, Adventists should not promote anything in a pill or a bottle. The original plant is best, always. So stick to established facts in human populations. Facts in human population. The truth about that is frightening enough and the studies are valid. Now, I cringe a little bit for the next part because I throw some stones here. Beware of fake health evangelists. Uh, they are Google educated in sciences and still ignorant. They have a zeal without knowledge, which makes them a little fanatical. They lack flexibility, which makes them dogmatic. They're really missing balance, so they're kind of lopsided in their approach. They distort Ellen White's writings, and they're dismissive of educated scientists as individuals and as a group, and some of them are kind of profit-oriented. Unfortunately, fake health evangelists have institutions uh, of their own. They have programs. They have literature. They speak at camp meetings. They have products and literature in every Adventist book center. And they may even have a display at the ASI convention. <laughs> Notice this. It is time that something was done that novices may not be allowed to take the field and advocate health reform. Their works and words can be spared, for they do more injury than the most wise and intelligent men with the best influence they can exert can counteract. 
And it is impossible for the best qualified advocates of health reform to fully relieve the minds of the public from the prejudice through which the wrong course of these extremists and to place the great subject of health reform upon the right basis in the community where these men have figured. And the door is also closed in a great measure so that unbelievers cannot be reached by the present truth on the Sabbath and the soon coming of our Savior. The most precious truths are cast aside by the people as unworthy of a hearing as uh, these men are referred to as representatives of health reformers and Sabbath keepers in general. And a great responsibility rests upon those who have proved a stumbling block to unbelievers. So this is a serious indictment, folks. We have the truth, but we also have some untruth. And we need to have wisdom to differentiate between the two. We need to test all things and hold fast to that which is good. So principle number three is use accurate scientific information from human populations in health evangelism. If you do that, you're not going to go wrong. And when people tout a given product or a given thing, I'll say, I want to see the data on humans. And if you could show me a study that had 10,000 people in it, I would be impressed. If you could show me a study that had 500,000 people in it, I'd be even more impressed. But I don't want to see a study that was done on six people here and three people there, please. This is not science in its true sense. So we're still on these six fundamental principles. The fourth one is use the Bible. Notice this quote. The principles of health reform are found in the word of God. The gospel of health is to be firmly linked with the ministry of the word. So when you're talking about health, you're to talk about the word at the same time. It is the Lord's design that the restoring influence of health reform shall be a part of the last great effort to proclaim the gospel message. We're in that time now, aren't we? The last great effort is to be made, and the gospel of health is to be part of that. And there are so many wonderful promises in the Bible. He increases the power of the weak. We are advised to endure afflictions. We can cast all of our anxiety on him because he cares for us. And may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And when temptation comes, God will make a way of escape that we can bear it. This, this is wonderful stuff that you don't get from modern psychologists. Reality check. Nobody but Adventists will use the Bible in health programming. So in this sense, we are unique. Now, I have rarely, you'll find somebody that will say, I don't like your weight management program because you use the Bible. I'm sorry, but there's Weight Watchers, there's Nutrisystem, there's Tops, and there are 15 new books that came out this year, and your doctor has five new prescriptions he can give you, and besides that, there is surgery. You could have sleeve surgery, you could have gastric bypass surgery. If you don't like the Bible in my weight management program, there are lots of godless programs you can go to, but you won't find one of them that will use the Bible. So, never apologize about using the Bible in your health programs. If people are offended, let them go someplace else. We're concerned about the truth. 
And I'm not going to hide the truth just because somebody doesn't like it. Amen. Principle number four, use the Bible in health evangelism. We're still reviewing these six principles. Number five, introduce Jesus. A great work of reform is demanded, and it is only through the grace of Christ that the work of restoration, physical, mental, and spiritual, can be accomplished. How do people get better? Through the grace of Christ. You can't learn that at Weight Watchers. You don't learn that at a stop smoking clinic. The grace of Christ is sufficient for every one of us. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. And then Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We should ever remember that the object of medical missionary work is to point sin-sick men and women to the man of Calvary. So you're doing health work, point to the man of Calvary. That is your job. If they don't like it, there are other places that they can go. He takes away the sin of the world by beholding them, they will become changed. That's what they're coming to you for. They come to you for a health program because they want to be changed. And it's Jesus who can change them. We are to encourage the sick and suffering to look to Jesus and to live. Not psychiatric or psychological principles. Now, I'll tell you, they have outlined uh, very nicely the steps in behavior change. The only problem is it doesn't work. And they'll tell you, if you don't succeed, try, try again, right? We can use the steps that psychology says, but then we can tell people, with Jesus' help, you can really do it. With Jesus' help, you can overcome. With Jesus' help, you can avoid the temptations. And, and it will certainly work. Don't use hypnosis. Reality check. Nobody else but Adventists will ever say that Jesus changes behavior. Baptists will never do it. Because they believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. And if you're struggling with a health thing, maybe you should work on it. But it's not essential. God has already saved you. Isn't that interesting? So none of our Protestant friends are ever going to talk about Jesus in the health program. Because although they believe in Jesus, they don't believe that he helps you today because he's already saved you. And you don't have to worry about it. Okay, principle number five, Jesus changes lives in health evangelism. Now we're up to number six, benefits of prayer, not meditation, not mindfulness, not yoga, not chakra cleansing and balance, but simply ask and it will be given to you, seek and you shall find. Wonderful promise in the Bible. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And I always, uh, people say, well, that's, if you pray according to God's will. Hey, does God want you to be healthy? Does God want you to stop smoking? God will always answer that prayer. That is according to God's will. You being healthy is according to God's will. So if you ask anything, he will do it. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Prayer moves the arm of omnipotence. And my favorite quote is we should reach out the hand of faith and grasp the arm of infinite power. The simplest prayer that is put up in faith is acceptable to heaven. The humblest soul that looks up to Christ is connected with who? 
the God of the universe. That is just really awesome. You want help? Listen, just whatever. You can say, God, help me. God, save me. God, here's a fork. I'm about to kill myself. Stop me from eating. The humblest prayer, the weirdest prayer, the shortest prayer. Anytime anybody calls out to God, that's good enough for heaven. It's acceptable. And you are connected with the God of the universe. Is there any better help than that? There isn't. Wonderful, wonderful promise. Nobody but Adventists will advocate prayer in health programming. Okay? So these are the ways in which we are truly unique. Prayer connects you with God. Prayer brings you power. Prayer changes you. So are Adventists held a special? Well, we are not special anymore in terms of health facts because the health facts have been confirmed, extended, and are much more available in population studies. Are, are we special, special in terms of steps to behavior change? The answer there is no, but we are special in this sense in that we have 50,000 churches, 20 million members. We have a Jesus that changes lives, a Bible that contains the promises of God, and prayer that connects us with the God of the universe. And I will hold out to you that these are the only ways in which we are unique anymore. And to ignore this is to ignore the power which will help health evangelism. Now, this is going good. Uh, We've been talking for 30 minutes. I thought we would take much longer to get at this point. But uh, I have a a few more short things and then we can have a discussion. But I I now want to talk about six failures. And there's a little bit of a duplication in here. But I've got some statistics that that are preliminary and small, but I, I hope they will help you. Number one, we're confused regarding the term health evangelism. Is it scientific information? Is it the gospel? Which is more important? Which comes first? When do you transition? How do you blend the two? Well, let's answer the question about which is more important. If, if you're talking about health, the benefits are temporary and you still die. If you talk about evangelism, the benefits are eternal and it doesn't matter if you live or die. So the truth is, evangelism trumps health every time. Has to. And so evangelism is the primary work of the church, but evangelism is also the primary work of health evangelism. So the first lesson learned is that evangelism is the primary work of health evangelism. And so failure number two is we have failed to integrate spiritual and evangelistic elements into health evangelism. And here you have a little bit of reputation. How do you do that? Well, you integrate scripture. You find uh, creative ways to put scripture in. In my weight management program, I assign a Bible reading every day to everybody. If they don't have a Bible, we're glad to give them one. Uh, We promote prayer. Uh, We keep track of prayers. We have them score up to three prayers a day. And uh, I'll show you some numbers in a minute. We also locate our programs in the church. I don't rent a hall. I don't use a neutral territory. We do it in the church. The first efforts will be small, but as the reputation changes and grows, more and more people will come. 
And I had the experience in Towson, Maryland once of uh, having, a, we did a series of stop smoking clinics and at the, the pastor wanted to use the high school auditorium and I tr- said, no, 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 we're going to do it in the church. So the first one we had about 15 people come out and he said, see, I told you, it's a big mistake. Uh, the next one, I said, no, we're going to do it here again. So the next one we had about 35 people. And he said, man, that's not bad. The next one, we had 90 people. And from then on, we were packed, 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 packed. Why? Safe to go to the Adventist church. They'll give you help. Change the reputation of the church. Use a church member interface. Uh, I, I like to pair church members up with non-church members. Give them some small group time. Uh, give them uh, some exercises to do. Let them make friendships. And then give them the good news that God changes life. So the second lesson learned is put spiritual elements into health evangelism. Now, here is a serious error. We, we have not tracked the evangelistic uh, elements in health evangelism. And how do you do that? Well, the number that I'm trying to promote is the NAPV. You need to start counting NAPVs which are non-Adventist person visits. So you count every non-Adventist every time they come through the door and then add them all up. So if one person comes 10 times, that's 10 NAP, NAPV. If 10 people come once, that's 10 NAPV. And uh, add them all up. And health programs generate NAPVs first, and then baptisms come later. in 28 Best Way programs conducted all across the United States, only three or four of them were ones that I con- uh, conducted, there were a total of 4,723 NAPV generated, which is uh, 168 NAPV per Best Way program. We track prayers, and in the programs that I've conducted, people, well, this is from the same 28 programs, people who lost 10 pounds or more were 25% more likely to pray three times a day. So prayer works better than non-prayer in weight loss. We've never proved that before, but we need to prove that all of these elements really do work. We track Bible study, and for those who lost 10 or more pounds, they were 21% more likely to have read the scripture for that day compared to those who didn't read the Bible. So reading the Bible changes lives. And uh, we track member contacts. Uh, If those who lost 10 or more pounds were almost 50% more likely to regularly contact Seventh-day Adventist church members for help and for encouragement compared to those who didn't lose the weight. So here is proof that prayer works, Bible study works, and hooking people up with Seventh-day Adventists, all of these things enhance the likelihood of success. Okay, now, other things you want to, of course, track are, are they changing their behavior? And those who lost 10 pounds or more were 53% more likely to avoid snacks. And uh, we asked them to choose a food to avoid. And those who lost 10 pounds or more were 30% more likely to avoid the food item that they were supposed to be 
avoiding. And of course, you want to track walking as well. Those who lost 10 pounds or more were 64% more likely to walk for 45 minutes compared to those who lost less weight. So we're asked by our pastor friends, where are the baptisms? Okay, and that is the wrong question. Because if you do health evangelism this way, we can say, hey, we got them to church. We made them friends with Adventist church members. We taught them to pray. We have them reading the Bible every day. They're living healthier lives. They have a practical relationship with Jesus. They're more likely to attend evangelistic meetings. How many of those people did you baptize? So baptism is a social marker that occurs somewhere along the path of Christian development. And it's one that you can count very easily, and you can hear it as well as see it. But uh, the, the truth is, health evangelism should only be responsible for getting people so far. And if we did it right, we would, we would do what well. Now, I'm going to give you some more statistics in a minute, but lesson number three, track the effectiveness of spiritual elements in health evangelism. Keep good statistics, okay? Now, failure number four, we don't do much in the way of follow-up. We do a program, we say thank you very much for coming, and that's the end. We really ought to see these people at 1, 3, 6, 9, and 12 months. And if you're doing a study, it gives you the perfect reason for going to their house. Hey, we're doing this study, it's really important, got to have 12 months worth of data, and we're at the six-month point. And so you ask your questions, and they say, well, how are things going? How are you doing physically? Uh, I'm feeling much better now that I'm walking for 30 minutes, five days a week. How are you doing spiritually? Did you watch the football game last Sunday? They don't want to talk about it. What do you do? Go on, talk about something else. But if they'll say, I, I have a relationship with God that I haven't had before. I had one lady who stopped, she was a secular Jew, and she stopped smoking with God's help. And I saw her several months later. And I asked her how she was doing. She said, oh, I'm still off cigarettes. This is wonderful. She says, it really is. When you talk to God, God changes. You know, this is a model that I could apply to other problem areas in my life. And, and I'm saying, whoa, we call that sanctification. The, the, the whole purpose in life is to learn to trust God with more and more areas in your life. And where did she start? She started in a stop smoking clinic. Now, if she had died in a car wreck on her way home, would she have been saved? Well, I think she would have. Conversion means turning around. And some people turn around by walking down the sawdust aisle. But you're turned around as soon as you offer that humblest prayer, which is acceptable to heaven, and you're in contact with the God of the universe. And it's a matter of adding details. And we sometimes want them to walk a certain path and take a certain sequence. But I become quite content to let the Holy Spirit lead them in various ways to get there. And we need to be patient with the way the Lord leads people. And so when you follow up, are you still off tobacco? Are you still keeping the weight off? Are you still avoiding your snacks? Are you still exercising? Are you still making good food choices? Are you still reading your Bible? Are you still praying? Are you still keeping in touch with your friends in the church? So lesson four, follow up at frequent intervals for at least a year. That's more data collection. 
Now we come to stuff that's just slightly more esoteric. We, we, ha we need to do this. This is really, really important. And I have done a little bit of it, but not a lot. It, it takes a, a, a village to do what I'm proposing next. To measure integration of people into the church who have been through health evangelism. What is the susceptibility of these people to attend evangelistic meetings where they can get their full doctrinal load and be baptized? Well, we did a, a very careful evaluation of the advertising techniques that we did at an evangelistic series in Crowley, Texas. And we sent out 125 invitations to people who had come to our best way plan. And three of those came. Uh, the, I sent out two letters that was 50 cents apiece to 125 people, three people came, and so the cost was $41.67 per attendee if they had come to a health program. And then we did a mass mail out to everybody in the zip codes around, 16,000 flyers at the cost of many thousands of dollars, and we had five people come from that, and the cost per attendee was $1,600. So, after a health evangelism activity, a person is 76 times more likely to attend an evangelistic series. Now, that's based on my very small sample. But if we counted right and did it right, that would be an amazing number, wouldn't it? In that case, that happened to be true. And we saved $1,558 per attendee, which we could then have put into other places. And so uh, I think that if evangelists really understood this, and if we had enough data to show them, they would insist that a church do health evangelism activities for at least a year, maybe two years before I bring my series, because it's going to be a much more efficient attendance at these meetings. Now. What is the susceptibility of people to take Bible studies? Paul and Darlene Carmi are here. They've done some uh, cooking schools at the Crowley Church, and they very wisely at the end of every one said, how many of you would like to have Bible studies? And what's the percentage on that, Paul? Would you say roughly people who say, yes, I would like to have a Bible study? So I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, maybe 10, 20% at the end of every program, you ought to offer Bible studies. And you'll find that they will be ready to. So health evangelism prepares people by making them susceptible to taking Bible studies. What's the susceptibility to be baptized? Well, I can tell you that out of our Best Way program, we've had a number of people baptized, but that's the kind of numbers that we need to collect. We need to show people that if you've been through a health evangelism program, at the end of a series, you're much more likely to be baptized. So the susceptibility to be baptized needs to be measured as well. How about regular church attendance? Are these people who've come in through health evangelism, are they more likely to attend church regularly? It would be nice if we knew that. What about stewardship? The church would be excited about this. If people who came in through health evangelism became generous donors to the church, and that could be measured, that, that would be a positive. What about susceptibility to resist apostasy? Are those who come into the church more likely to stay with the church? 
than those who came in off of a handbill. Of those who come in off of a handbill, 80% are gone within a year. I, I would predict that those who come in through health evangelism, maybe 20% would be gone on a year. If we knew the susceptibility to uh, resist apostasy, that would be a nice number to know. Why aren't we collecting that kind of information? That kind of information is critical to the advancement of health evangelism within the church, and we need to start doing that. Lesson number five, track integration into the church. Failure number six, and this is the last, uh, we have failed to correctly understand Christ's method of evangelism. Now, we've been over this, but the, the quote du jour is this one from, and notice the page, Ministry of Healing 143, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good, showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, won their confidence, then he bade them follow him. If you take this apart, uh, you could do it this way. The sa Savior mingled with men, that's secular, desired their good, that's humanism, showed sympathy, that's humanism, ministered to their needs, that's social action, won their confidence, that's building trust, and then bade them follow him, that's evangelism. So this, you could divide this into two parts. You could divide it into health and divide it into evangelism. And if you follow that model, you start out with a lot of health and very little evangelism, and you end up with evangelism uh, looking that way. But I want you to notice some of the other quotes nearby. This is on the very same page as the previous quote. A great work of reform is demanded, and it is only through the grace of Christ that the work of restoration, physical, mental, and spiritual, can be accomplished. So, you know, I, I don't know how much social work you want to do before you introduce Christ, but until you introduce Christ, nothing's going to happen. And in my mind, if you have a lot of people that come to a health program and you haven't introduced Christ, why should they come back for anything else? Because they never found the power, they were never put in touch with God, and there's no need to come back because they didn't get anything the first time around. And here is the very same page. Yes, the poor to be relieved, sick cared for, souring and bereaved, comforted, ignorant instructed, inexperienced counseled, where to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, accompanied by, which means at the same time. So we're to do all of that, but at the same time, we are to have the power of persuasion, the power of prayer, and the power of the love of God. This work will not, cannot be without fruit. So I, there, there's no justification for splitting this into a humanistic half and a spiritual half, because I'm reading you quotes on the same page as the other one. And if you're selectively pulling that out and dissecting it into a secular and humanistic part, you're not reading the rest of the book. And if we go a couple of pages later, it said we should ever remember that the object of medical missionary work is to point sin-sick men and women to the man of Calvary who takes away the sin of the world. Point them to the one who can heal both physical and spiritual disease. Talk of his love. Tell of his power to save. That's just a couple of pages that's the next page, isn't it? After 143, that's 144. If you go back to 140, it says, the physical healing is bound up with the gospel commission. In the work of the gospel, teaching and healing are never to be separated. You cannot take them apart. Do not divide them into a 
health and a spiritual component. Do not do that. And here it says, Jesus made each work of healing an occasion of implanting in the heart the divine principles of his love and benevolence. Thus his followers are to work. So every time he healed anybody, there came a scripture principle. And we are to do the same thing. And now notice this here. The work of health reform connected with the present truth for this time is a power for good. It is the right hand of the gospel and often opens field for the entrance of the gospel. Neither is the medical missionary work to be divorced from the gospel ministry. When this is done, both are one-sided. So you cannot divorce one from the other. The one great work of medical missionaries, that's what we are concerned about, is our one great work is to fulfill the commission to carry the gospel of salvation to all parts of the world. So our main job is evangelism, to carry the gospel of salvation to all parts of the world. So it's not health that leads to evangelism, but all in one box, health, evangelism, evangelistic health, and the like. And um, when the medical missionary work wins men and women to a saving knowledge of Christ and his truth, money and earnest labor may safely be invested in it, for it's a work that will endure. The church isn't putting a lot of money into health evangelism at the present time. It's largely a self-supporting effort, isn't it? And there's a lot of us in ASI who are doing this. But when we collect and have the statistics that I have been talking about, showing the susceptibility to attend meetings, the susceptibility to take Bible studies, the susceptibility to be baptized, the susceptibility to become a member in good standing, the susceptibility to give on a regular basis, the susceptibility to stay with the church and not to apostatize, when that has been demonstrated, then it says money and earnest labor may be invested because it's a work that's going to endure. So don't expect the church to throw money at health evangelism. We have some serious data collection to do to prove our point. And I, I, I want to make, make this point. Uh, somebody in talking to me last night said, well, if everybody just did something a little bit better than they did before, well, confusion can be a little bit better confusion, can't it? Disorganization can be a little bit better disorganization. And... Uh, I was using as, as an example, and it might be worth repeating uh, since uh, we have a little time. Uh, I, I had a very dear friend who was a surgeon who uh, spent uh, 15 years in uh, Ethiopia uh, and did surgery from early morning to late at night and uh, just about wore himself out. Uh, he retired and came to Hughley where I was and he helped us in internal medicine a great deal. Uh, before he uh, died in his 90s. A great, uh, good physician. But let me say this. Nothing he did in Ethiopia addressed the top 10 causes of death in that country. There's a difference between effort analysis and goal analysis. You can be very busy but not moving toward your goal. And you can count what you're doing, and it can be better than what you did last year. But if you're not moving toward your goal, you're wasting your time. So what what we need to do is to be very clear on what the goal is, and then we need to divide measure, devise measures 
that will help us quantitate how well we are moving toward that goal. And let's not be content with the number of pieces of literature distributed or effort measures, because effort measures in themselves are not sufficient. We need to have goal measures. Now, all of these things that I've discussed with you today are in this book, The Principles and Practice of Health Evangelism, not available in any Adventist book centers, uh, not available in any booths upstairs, and not available if you call me. You, have, you need to order them online. You can get them from Amazon. You can get them from Barnes Noble, Books a Million, anywhere you want it. But all of these are uh, presented in, in this book. Let's, uh, let's stand and, and have a benediction. I'll be glad to stay and talk to any of you afterwards. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your great love for us and for all mankind. And uh, we want to do the health work better. We want to integrate evangelism and health as it should be. And uh, be with us as we uh, decide to do this and attempt to do this in our own churches. Be with us through the remainder of these meetings. In Jesus' name. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.